Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad Spitch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry, in the Angelins, in the wilderness. Today I'm going to read from uh, selections, I should say, from my translation of a play called Deserts, Desiertos, by the Mexican playwright. Hugo Alfredo Hinojosa. I translated this play in um, 2007, a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but I think about it often. You know, some I've done many, many translations. Um, this translation was specifically quite impactful for me as a writer, maybe because of uh, the process, which was uh, quite powerful, but also just the play itself. Uh, it's a series of voices, of stories of illegal immigrants, um, uh, illegal politically, um, that takes a bold look at the violence and poverty along the U.S.-Mexico border. There's the stories of a mother and child, undocumented workers, snipers and preachers, and through it all, the strength of the human spirit that emerges from a struggle for survival. The play was uh, commissioned and developed at the Lark in New York City uh, as part of a program they used to have called the US-Mexico Exchange. And then it was developed uh, later at the Goodman Theater in 2010 as part of their Latino Theater Festival. So I'm going to start with uh, actually the end of the play. Uh, it's a monologue called In the Middle of War. My dad didn't make it out of that bitch of a trailer. I feel like crying for him, but I can't make a single sound. I hide and wait in this hole in the earth. Like all that time back there in that trailer, my superiors told me to wait here without uttering a single word, without letting so much out as a sigh at this hour of the day when up there, there's not a sign of truce, only blasts of lightning that leave behind them pale thunder. I'm hungry, a kind of shit hunger now that... There's nothing to eat in this place, no drinks, not even piss, maybe some saliva. I've been reserved after days of endless darkness. My radio doesn't give me orders, at least it doesn't transmit anything, only to wait that word is unsufferable, and so is everything else that could be said. A campaign should never be brutal, on the contrary, it should be like a kind of dance that stops after a couple of motions from the other side. The radio waves tell me to wait, to wait, to wait. By the gates of town, there was nothing, only dirt. And some dogs left behind by their masters after the explosions over the fields. The houses are barely standing amidst the debris. After the shooting, we advanced, and in the middle of the shit, there was this old abandoned movie theater filled with soot that the fires left behind. We moved forward, crawling across the earth like a stain of grass that was looking for a place to rest among those who seek out war, out nervousness is something you keep it close you don't let it wait too long inside you you have to keep it close to keep going in war this war another war too many wars a shot another and the battle has barely begun later the calm the telling of what went wrong there's no one someone shouts the news travels from one voice to another leaping from one silent body to another midst the dust the blood friends assassinating other friends a slaughter is welcome when desperation is all you have the movie theater 
Nearly let the gunshots caress it when we walked in. It was all over and picked up the bodies of our friends, dragged them inside. A short woman with brown skin came up to us and asked us for water. Nobody paid attention to her. She looked like a phantom in this world. Bit of water, please. Nobody understands, but they pointed their cans. We continued the reconnaissance mission, and in the projection booth, we found mounds of babies that had been abandoned. A bit of water, the woman kept saying. Vomit made me sink into the woman. She wouldn't stop screaming like a pig in the middle of a fire. I stopped vomiting. I took my canteen, and the woman threw herself upon it. One of my buddies hit her with a rifle. She fell. I switched some saliva around and spit. The body sank. My bodies drew near. They moved around to see if anyone was still alive. They're all dead. They shot at the best targets. They aren't the ones you aim for, but the ones you don't even know are in the line of fire. My son is almost eight years old, and to this day, he doesn't stop being a baby to me. One time, I called him on the phone, and my ex-wife answered. I asked her about my baby, and she laughed and said, he wasn't a baby, but a little monster that ran around the house without stop. My son's body is like that of any other body smashing at the edge of an armchair. The woman comes to and leans against one of the walls, struck by the wind. She looks about, looks at me, and asks me to give her a bit of water. I tell her to cup her hands, and I pour some liquid that runs straight through her fingers before she can put it to her lips. We rest a couple of hours in the middle of this mess. The day goes on until the night falls. The woman sleeps. Before the next day comes, some insurgents attack us, and half my company is wasted. I pick up the radio and get out of that place until I fall into this hole. The only thing I want is to not become the ideal target in some crossfire. The night is various, eternal, especially here in this place where the only light is the one I imagine. I hope my little monster waits for me. I want to embrace him. And that's from Hugo Hinojosa's Deserts. Um, the concluding monologue in that play, it's called In the Middle of War, that monologue. And, um, and then I'll sort of... Um, so the piece is composed of a series of duets and trios and monologues, and I'll point to uh, one of them called In a Bedroom. My husband practices walking on stilts every day. There are special stilts an engineer invented for him. I help him tie the boards to his upper thighs. He stands and walks around the patio a bit until he finds his equilibrium. I put some canvas sacks filled with stones on his chest and another on his back, achieving perfect balance. He walks slowly, leaving spiral marks on the floor. I don't mind, because ever since the accident, the only thing he thinks about is that morning when the bomb went off in the subway station. He says there were some noises at first, and then the blast. The only thing I say is that he needs to forget all that, because it's over. But he insists that I take him by the hand every day while I sell coffee and some food near the church on the outskirts of town. He doesn't like that place. He says he's too full of hatred to be outside a church where everybody that goes by knows. He thinks they talk about us behind our backs and that they feel sorry for me. I don't say anything. I just take him by the hand. The guide is every step, step by step, through the dried up garden here in the house. It's, it's possible that even though I still love him, I, I, I may get fed up one day and leave him on the street. After all, he can take care of himself. I don't care what people say. But if truth be told, if it's about pity, then they should save some for me my whole life, like a dog next to someone I don't like. He loses his balance and falls. I pick him up and I tell him, I don't mind. He should keep trying. I, I just hope he remembers before he dies that I didn't abandon him out of ingratitude, but rather for my own good. 
And that's the monologue in a bedroom. And then probably conclude this episode with um, the, there's a monologue, several monologues, as I said, um, but there's one that's from the point of view of, um, I can find it here, I'm scrolling through the text in front of me. Uh, it's called Insurance Agent's Office. I have life insurance. I sell life insurance. I bought it when I started my job in this company. We're dedicated to providing the best service and securing everyone's well-being. I've sold so many policies, as many policies as there are size. Nevertheless, it's not enough. I still have to surpass the level of sales achieved by this executive in this other city who has surpassed us all straight through the roof. The only thing I can do now and stay on par with him is to go into pure poor communities and sell policies there to make those poor folk feel happy and assured that their lives mean something. I call on any number of houses I put in time. After all, no one should feel bad about being poor. We all have the right to be happy. Look at me. I'm the perfect example. Every day I achieve my personal best. I strive for success. I smile, smile, smile. And when I lose my way, there's always someone here to pick up my slack and take the credit. That's as it should be. It's all about winning, staying in the game, going for the gold. I'm ready to hit the streets and sell anything to anyone at any moment. I remember once... I sold coverage to this man who had this coffee stand outside the busiest subway station in the city. He said he was 65 years old, the exact age required for coverage. He came to my office with his wife. He asked me about all the clauses in the contract, and after reading them, the man turned to his wife and asked her whether they should invest in this insurance. Minutes later, the deal was closed, and the actors in this drama, the man, his wife, and I, shook hands. Days later, the man's body was ripped to bits when a bomb exploded in the subway station where he had his coffee stand. Rescue workers found his body. Most of his limbs were gone. They took him to the hospital and put him under close watch in isolation. They were afraid he might lose other parts of his body. He lost his nose and half of his tongue. I remember because I went to the hospital. Make him sign a clause in the contract that stated the insurance company wasn't liable insofar as terrorist attacks were concerned. Man's wife asked me why he had to sign those papers. I said it was just a formality to make sure they get proper coverage. They signed, I smiled, and I left the hospital with all the papers in order. They congratulated me at work. I'd done so well. I'd surpassed my rival in sales and became the head honcho in the office. I never went back to the hospital. Months later, I happened to stop by the town where these old clients used to live. I, I ran into the man and his wife. They had a newsstand. They sold coffee and sweets. The wife took care of the customers while he sat in a chair saying thank you to everyone who'd buy and speaking in a kind of gibberish no one could understand. I tried to start up a conversation with them about this new retirement plan that just came out. The woman spit at me, started to scream at me with this insane, sinister look on her face. I couldn't understand why she was so upset. I was silent, and she kept cursing at me. I thought, these people... These mediocre people, they just don't know how to smile. I turned around and left that savage place. And that's the um, insurance agent's uh, office monologue. Um, from Deserts, a, a wonderful play, a play that I really love uh, by Hugo Alfredo Hinojosa. A real privilege to have translated it. Um, Yes. Uh, so there, that's our segment for today. 
as they say, uh, as always, this is about you and I in this theater. You there in the dark, and I here wondering who you are. Thanks for listening. Today for night.